we'd like to, uh, to think about what Nehemiah does after he hears some bad news. But before we do that, I'd like to, again, turn to the Lord in prayer. And I want to encourage you the importance of prayer. We're talking about that today. Uh, but we want to let you know as a church, we're wanting to encourage prayer, not only individually, but also uh, in forms of us working together in prayer. And I realize for some of you, it might not be a time you're ready to do that, but we've already initiated and instituted a, a time at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings for those of you who would like to come early and spend some time with us in prayer uh, for the, uh, the needs that we have in our church as well as in our, in our country. But let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for just how that you have given us the invitation that we can come to you in prayer. Lord, that we are coming to you not only as our Lord, our Savior, our Father, but even as the song kind of dictates that we are able to come because of the name of Jesus Christ as friend, uh, that uh, we have that privileged position to share our hearts with you and to uh, count on the fact that you hear us when we cry out to you. Father, I pray that our hearts have been humbled and our hearts have been, uh, you know, in a sense, pressured enough where we realize we cannot come to the solutions on our own. We need you. And God, I pray that if anything comes out of our time together, we will walk away knowing that we need you more than we realize. And Father, I ask that we will keep that in the forefront of our minds as individuals, but also as a church, whether it's calling a, a senior pastor or whether it's uh, reaching people here in this community for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we need you. And we need to do things in a way that brings glory to you and that allows people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and become more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and whose name we pray, amen. Turning to God, Nehemiah, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, he had a big assignment come upon him as his friends from Jerusalem came and gave him the bad news. And we finished out last week's sermon talking about that bad news and how he responded. But I want to take time this morning to spend on how Nehemiah responded. So as you look at that first portion there of Nehemiah chapter 1. Hope that you turn your Bibles there. I will have slides available for each of the verses I'm dealing with, but it's good to have your own scriptures open to look, see what God's doing. But uh, the, the Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, he says, as soon as I heard these words. Now as I mentioned, I have somewhat of an imagination when I think of what was going on in the time of Nehemiah, and I try to take what Nehemiah was going through and place it into my own life. And from my habit and from my areas of interest, I could see the wheels turning like Mission Impossible. Or those of you that are familiar with the A-Team, that you have this overwhelming, super responsibility. You got your team here. Now what we do is need to make the plan. And I could see Nehemiah as the uh, cupbearer bringing out a big tablecloth, putting it up, and we're going to draw out a map. And it's going to be the extraction map. 
that Nehemiah somehow has to get out of where he is right now, the obligations he has right now, and get over to Jerusalem to fix the problem. So not only that, for the extraction, we have to have an elaborate distraction plan so that we could get the king to let him go. And then we would have forged papers to be able to make the trip all the way over to, to Jerusalem and accomplish those things. And then somehow we need to ensure that there is a, a way of getting the materials that we need, obviously, avoiding, obviously involving another plan. So can you see those wheels going like that? Because that's essentially how we take care of our issues in our life, right? When difficult things come into our life, we're ready to come up with a plan to try to figure out how do I get around the obstacle or over the obstacle? How do I uh, look and use all of my resources and I continue to employ them and work and work and if I get to a roadblock I can't get over and I've tried everything that I can, then I think, let's go to prayer. Let's get God involved with that at this particular time. And as I considered what Nehemiah was up against, I could see him considering how can I get from here to there and what types of things can I employ with my great crafty mind and my resources to allow it to take place. But that's not what he did. It says that immediately after he heard this, he does this. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now I say that I don't think that he wasn't creative enough to come up with a plan. I don't think it was the fact that he didn't have resources he could have put into play. But I believe Nehemiah models for us really something that is important as we face challenges and difficulties, roadblocks, bad news, whatever you want to call it, to where we employ and lean on God first and then start using the resources that he has available. And I don't know how many times I have embarked on a project and done so without taking the time to go to the Lord in prayer because I thought I had it. I thought I could do it. I didn't need God's help. Whoa, that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? Where we don't need God's help. And Nehemiah doesn't even pray for wisdom to start out. Notice that as we go through that. I'm going to talk about the five things that I see in this portion of Scripture, Nehemiah chapter 1, that Nehemiah does do. Not making the plans. He's not, uh, uh, you know, drawing all this stuff out, trying to get his team together, loving it when a plan comes together, that type of thing. He's instead, he goes to the Lord and seeks God's help immediately. Let's look at the first of those. He starts out doing this. And he said, I, everything from this point on, you'll notice that there's a quotation mark. All the rest of what we're going to talk about is what his quotation mark, is, what, what he says, okay? And he said, I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Now, I've taken the time to put into yellow, and you'll see yellow pop up on several of the slides. And the reason I did that is because there are some specific things that made sense in what Nehemiah was going through. Because he is working under a certain covenant promise uh, with God that comes all the way out from Moses. And as a result, 
his statements, his prayers, his responses are in that context. And I want to challenge us that our context is someplace else. Not that it doesn't involve God, and doesn't, not that it doesn't involve his promises or his covenant, but we have a different responsibility than what Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem had. And we will point that out later on. But I wanted to give you a heads up as to what the yellow is all about, and I'm not going to go into detail as much to talk about what this means to Nehemiah, because we talked about that a bit in our first message together on Nehemiah. But I want to highlight instead the things that Nehemiah did that is applicable to us. First of all, he exalts. Let's look at some of the things that he says about God that would be uh, important for us. First of all, I want to emphasize that rather than asking for wisdom, uh, rather than asking for help, he takes the time to talk about who God is. And I don't think that that is something that is just for those in the Old Testament. I think it is our responsibility on a regular basis to emphasize how great God is. And why I believe that is because if we're going to go to him in prayer, and if we're going to ask of him some things, we need to have our mind in the right place in regard to who God is. That God isn't someone who just kind of comes alongside to give us some assistance on what our project is and what our agenda is. Maybe give us some consulting, maybe allow us to uh, uh, accomplish some things, maybe have some resources we don't have. Nehemiah is recognizing right off the bat that it's all about God. It's all about him. And that whatever comes out from that is, uh, is... is the process, rather than it's all about me and God help me get what I want. So he starts out talking about how great God is. And we've looked at that in Isaiah chapter 40 about how great and awesome God is, or Psalm 139, or you can go in a a variety of places to to search out through the scriptures of how, how awesome and great God is in comparison to the nations around us, comparison to any kind of virus that might be around us, comparison to whatever issues we might be dealing and wrestling with, God is great. And we ought to recognize that he's great, and he's the one we should turn to, and he's the one we need to seek to please. It is him. There's a lot of pressure to want to please this or that, or to accomplish this or that, but Nehemiah reminds us that God is great, and he should be the one getting our attention. We should be exalting him for his greatness. Second of all, he's just awesome. Now, I have had someone tell me that we should not use the term awesome for anything other than God. And I'm not sure that that's not a wise thing. But it's become so much a part of our culture, it'd be hard to change that. But he is the awesome one, right? He is the one that is capable of accomplishing things that will blow our minds. Uh, He does things in ways that we never would have thought of. And he accomplishes things far greater than we would have ever anticipated. So not only is he great, what comes out of him is awesome. And then as he talks about the covenant that he has made with Israel, that just reminds us of this. God is indeed our promise keeper. He does not renege on the promises that he has made. And as we look further as to what our responsibility is as individuals and as a church, we will see that he makes a promise to us and one that he will keep. And then fourthly, he talks about how merciful God is. 
This is so important. If you're addressing God as the great and awesome one, and you do not understand how merciful he is, it's less likely you're going to have a relationship with him that he has designed. And God wants us to have a close relationship with him, and he wants us to realize that when we see him, and we see ourselves, and we finally recognize the difference between the two, and we want to say, woe is me, and we want to respond like Isaiah did when he saw God uh, high and lifted up, and we want to just ask for the coal to come on our lips because we are not worthy to be in the presence of God, that we'll recognize him as a merciful God. That he is one who sees us, not in our sinful state, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we took our, he took our sins off us and placed upon him, he took his righteousness and placed upon us, his mercy is demonstrated in that situation. And finally, uh, just the uh, concept that he observed your commandments, uh, that he is a just God. He is one that is right. That is why we can depend on him. That's why we can go to him. So it's not just an issue that you would have where people have followed a certain religion over time and they've recognized he's a great and awesome God and that, uh, that you just kind of wonder how he will take care of us. They might be dangerous. And as we know, uh, as you think about Aslan, you know, the, the, uh, the question about Aslan, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis's work, the question as to Aslan, is he safe or is he good? And our God is good and he is just and he is merciful. But again, he is, he is great and he's awesome. And we ought to see him as great and awesome and be willing to turn our attention to him. In that light, Nehemiah saw the opportunity to make a plea. Great and awesome God, the one who's just, the one who's merciful, the one who is the promise keeper. Uh, again, here's where, where Nehemiah makes a plea for audience. It says, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants. Nehemiah is pleading. Now, I've just been thinking about this, and I don't know if you've thought about this in your life, but we know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and we know that as in that process, the, 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 um, the veil was ripped in two. We know that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We know that we have that opportunity to, to come before God at any time. We don't have to have a priest to come before us, to represent us before God. And yet, I, I wonder how often we take that for granted. And to not see God as a God with a hearing ear. That God truly hears us, and he knows what, we're, what our needs are. But what's interesting is, even though God has the capacity, I don't, know how, I don't know how he does it, he has the capacity to know everything you've said over this last week. Now, does that make you a little nervous? Well, let's make it a little more nervous. He knows everything you've thought over the last week, all right? So God knows all that stuff, but you know what? He still wants to hear your voice. 
He wants to hear your voice calling out to him. He wants to hear your voices raised up and singing, but most of all, he wants to hear your voice calling out to him and depending upon him. He is a God with a hearing ear. He's a God with a seeing eye, uh, that he is able to see everything that is going on. He is not caught off guard by what you're experiencing. Uh, when you're sitting in your car and you're getting ready to back up and you find out that your emergency brake is stuck and it will not unstick and you have to, uh, and then you go to make a phone call and find out that your phone is dead and that you have to walk then and beg a phone from somebody so you can call for a ride to go home. God knows about that. And uh, even though at the time you're thinking, God, why are you doing this? Uh, those type of things are things that are not going to catch him off guard. And so the, the turmoil that our world, that our country is experiencing, is not catching him off guard. He sees it, but he still wants to hear us talk about it to him and ask for his help. He also emphasizes the humble spirit. He says that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray. I think that's the thing it misses for me sometimes. When I think about the, the, the boldness that I can come, I think about the, the fact that the veil has been ripped aside, that I'm now a part of the priesthood, all that I forget is still a humble process to come before a holy, great, awesome God and be able to share those things. There, there are people that I am more concerned about talking to here on earth at times. Are you there sometimes? You're nervous about going to them and talking to them about something because of their stature or because of their position or because of something in their life. And I, and I think that God doesn't want us to be fearful. He doesn't want us to uh, have this uh, uh, apprehension. But I wonder, do I really recognize how great he is, how awesome he is, as I come to him in prayer and say, what an honor it is. God, I'm so appreciative that you have opened up your door to allow me to come in and talk with you and to commune with you. Sometimes I think we make it a little bit too casual, and it's just something that just go along. But we are having an audience, an audience that Nehemiah pled for, an audience for a hearing God, a seeing God, and he comes as a humble servant. And then what he says here, night and day. <laughs> That night and day he's praying. He actually says it day and night in his text. But the night and day that he is bringing these petitions before God, he's, he's recognizing God's available during the day and he's available during the night. And, uh, <laughs> well, that was no good anymore. All right, so, but, uh, but he is available all the time. But the point is, just because he's available all the time, do we take that? opportunity. Are we willing to pray to our God and to recognize that he is great, he's awesome, but he's available, and he wants to hear what is going on in our life. He goes right into <laughs> Oh, he goes right into he goes right into a confession of sin. Now, again, we still haven't had the prayer for wisdom. We still haven't had the prayer for uh, help, all right? So we're going right into confession now. God is, is an awesome God. He's a great God. He's a just God. He's a merciful God. And in light of that, 
Nehemiah knows it's safe. It's safe to come to him with what is on his heart in regard to his relationship with God. He says this. He says, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. Again, yellow there for our purposes. Understand that's something specific for them. Uh, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. And as we think about confession, there might be things that we would look at as a church that we want to confess, that we want to, to see, are we tracking with what God has called us to? Israel obviously were missing their covenant. They were not accomplishing what God had called them to do. Keep my commandments. Avoid idolatry. Continue to follow me. And Israel was missing out on those things so that the people around them were not seeing a chosen people. They were seeing people who were more enthralled with the people around them than they were the God who had chosen them. And so Nehemiah said, well, wanted to ask God's forgiveness for the fact that they as a nation were not accomplishing that. What about for us as a church, as we look at our mission of making disciples and our mission of accomplishing that which God has called us to do, there's the times where we might have to repent and say, we've gotten the critical things out of whack. We've gotten things that we desire ahead of the things that God desires and that we should confess that. And then also as individuals, as we consider as individuals, what types of things are in my life that has kept me from accomplishing what God wants me to accomplish? Have I been unfaithful in prayer? Have I been unfaithful in sharing the, the, uh, the word of God with other people? Am, am I guilty of not accomplishing what is the most important thing to God? And those are the things that ought to drive us to repentance and drive us to, to a point where, where Nehemiah is. He's recognized that God is awesome. He's recognized that God hears, but he also recognizes where he is in his own life that there is a need for transformation here. And we would be wise to, when we start looking at things we don't like out here, we don't like over here, over here, over there, why are they doing this, or why aren't they doing that? Nehemiah, rather than him sitting down and belly aching about the fact that the people that are in Jerusalem weren't doing their job, and now he's got to come in and clean up their mess, Instead of him belly aching about why are they doing this, why are they bugging me, he's confessing his sin. He has a broken heart over the fact that there was this heartache. Rather than, rather than being upset with things out here, he starts being upset with things right in here. Folks, that's what crisis does. Difficulties gets our, get our attention. They are the things that come into our life to help us sit down and think through things. Remember, this days that Nehemiah is doing this. And he is looking instead of at how horrible things are over here, how horrible things are out there. What's going on here? And if you're fearful about something, if you're agitated about something, if you are uh, just upset or whatever it might be, it's a great time to look inside and ask God to work in your heart. Jesus said that there was a thing that we can do when we have a conflict with people that are in our lives, look for the log in our own eye. Can, can I suggest that that's something we can do even with God? When we wonder, well, God, why haven't you done this? God, why haven't you done that? Let's look at the log in our own eye. 
He goes on to uh, say this. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. He's confessing about those sins against God, his person, but also against his word. What has God told us that we should do? Again, we'll talk about that in just a moment. The fourth thing he does is he has a reminder of relationships. He says, remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me. Again, here he's given the indication of what that relationship barrier is. We saw that in in Isaiah 40, when we talked about that a little bit, we saw that in our first session uh, on Nehemiah a couple weeks ago, what that all entailed, that there were certain things that were expected of the people of Israel, and they did not fulfill it. And as a result, God had warned them, and that there are some things that become relationship breakers in our relationship with God, and Nehemiah is recognizing that. Verses 8 through 10 go on to say this, Yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. As we think about what we should remember, Nehemiah focuses on these things, and I call them relationship values. First of all, he talks about them being those that have been gathered. For Israel, that gathering is Jerusalem. For us, the gathering would be, in my understanding, is the called out assembly, that we are, in a sense, gathered, we're part of the body, and that God is the one who does that for us, and that we should remember that we are to work together as a team uh, as we seek to accomplish that what God has called us to do. Not only that, we're servants. I notice how he emphasizes the word your servants, your people, uh, the ones you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand, that uh, we we are looking at servants. uh, We're looking at them being his people. We're looking at them being his, those who he's redeemed. He's purchased. Some of the things are very clear to us as well. We are called his people. We are called his redeemed as those who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And we should remember that it is all about the relationship. Let's transition now. Uh, Again, if you have your Bibles and want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 28. As I want to look at what our uh, commission is. Nehemiah was to go build a wall. Nehemiah was to uh, help that city, that Jerusalem, that place where God had said they would go to fulfill the promise that God had so they could be protected. But we see an encouragement that comes from Jesus as he is leaving this earth and he's talking to those men that he had worked with for about three years and he's giving them a commission that has been transferred onto us. But he says this in verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven... And on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is emphasizing the fact that I have an authority to, uh, to share these things, to do this. God the Father has given him the authority to employ us as his church to make disciples. 
This is, in a sense, our responsibility. And he says how this goes. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so you look at these key words, all authority. Go, make disciples. I am with you. That's where I see that promise of God. When he says you are to go, and I am to go, or we are to go, he is with us to make disciples. We ought to be disciples, we ought to make disciples. And as we walk back through this process of prayer, and we get to that third portion, and we see where Nehemiah was quick to repent of what his people were not doing correctly, are we quick to repent of what we are not doing correctly, of the mission that we are avoiding by our, our, our sins of omission, that we're not being disciple makers as God has, has told us to do, and in the promise of relationship. He's with us. It's not just something that he has told us to do, and Jesus goes off to heaven and leaves us all alone to accomplish something that he couldn't while he was here. That's not how it works. He set everything into motion, left, sent the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell us so that we could do the work of the ministry. But he says, even in that, I am with you always. He's there to help us and to help us accomplish these things. The last, uh, he goes on to say this, that uh, uh, we should request success. Here's what, here's what, Jer- what Nehemiah says. He says, O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive, we've heard that before, to the prayer of your servant and your servants who desire to fear your name. I think the, the name is very critical here. We have a habit of praying in Jesus' name, uh, that we consider that to be the proper uh, etiquette as we pray. And as we close our time, and we do that because Jesus exhorted us to anything that we ask in his name, uh, God will do it. And so we are uh, accustomed to that. And But if you think about it, the name is not just some magic formula to be able to accomplish what you want. The name is the authority, the authority of Jesus Christ. We do not come in on the authority of Scott Owen and say, because I'm Scott Owen, you need to give me what I want type of thing. I am coming as a humble servant, a servant of Jesus Christ, and in that name, I want to ask these things to happen, if it be according to your will. He goes on to ask for what he wants. Finally, we've gone through four aspects of his prayer. We're finally to the last one, and this is what he asks. And he says, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah is giving the readers an understanding of what went through his heart after he heard that devastating news and how that he turned immediately to God and what those phases involved. And after four aspects of, of coming to God, he gets to the place where he asks for something. And he's asking that he might have prosper might prosper to restore Jerusalem. He doesn't say that in detail, but you'll see that as things play out. But he's asking God to help him be successful, to accomplish something. 
And as he does that, he asks also for to have mercy before the king. All of this is his plan. His plan is to ask God to help, for God to work in the heart of a Gentile king, of one that we have no idea whether he had the same kind of compassion as Cyrus had for the Jews. We don't know any of those details. All we know is that there's been some very interesting things that happened in the Gentile kings during that period of time, and some of them were pretty intense. But he prays for mercy before the king. Now, as I close our time together, and I think of this in regard to our situation, our responsibility of the disciple-making process, what should, our, what should we be asking for? Uh, here are some things that I suggest that we might prosper in making disciples. We might prosper in sharing the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose again so that we could be free of the burden of our sin and from that which keeps us from having a relationship with God and so that we can uh, be able to come to a, a realization of our need but also we can become more like the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might have prop prosperity in making disciples. And I, I, and I like this next part, is that we're talking about mercy before the king. Just some Gentile king. Nehemiah wanted to have mercy before a king. Some, another mere human. And he asked for help. We have the privilege of bringing people underneath the king of kings. So that they can experience mercy under the king of kings. People who are at enmity with God, enmity at the King of Kings, and we have the privilege of bringing them through the gospel, sharing with them how that they can have peace and mercy with the King of Kings. What an exciting project that we have. For some of us, it might be real exciting to think about what Nehemiah has before him. He's going to lead all these people and do these things and build great walls and accomplish all these things, be up against enmity, all this but yet we have been called to something far greater. To take the hope of Jesus Christ and bring that to individuals so that they can be rescued. Do you remember when that happened for you? Do you remember when you went from one phase in your life of being lost, an enemy of God, and to the place where you now were a, had the capability of really truly serving him and being a, a child of God? For me, it's been uh, a long time, been a long time, and I am embarrassed that I let that time make that experience less exciting, less important. My God did a wonderful, awesome work, a great work in my life to turn me from one place to another. He did the same thing for you, and we ought to want to share that with others. That is a great, great opportunity. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to, to take and talk about what prayer is all about. There are so many things we can pray for, but God, if we are not praying that we will be sharing your truth with others, if we're not praying that we will be an example of your disciple, or if we're not praying that we will be active in helping people become like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then Lord, I fear we're missing the most critical things. And so, God, I pray that you will forgive us for being distracted by things, important things, but not the most important things. 
uh, as we seek to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.